more than you know. It's a joy to preach God's word this morning with you. You know, this is a corporate event where all of us are paying attention to what Christ our Lord wants to say to us through his sovereign and sufficient word. We are starting a new series, as Pastor Terrence introduced, entitled, Blessed to be a Blessing. And this prayer guide is really designed as a spiritual formation process for each of you. That this month, there is a process that is meant to prepare our hearts to enter into the new building. We know that the church is more than a building. The building is just an outer physical structure. But the church is a body of believers, a body of individual disciple makers. And as we go in there, we, we all have to go in together. Right? And so just a quick preview. You can kind of see the title of each sermon in here. Today, we are going to talk about remembering the past. Why do we do that? Because we're going to take some time to draw your hearts to remember your salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, remember when you were saved, remember your life before salvation, whether you were born in the church and had to figure out that Christianity was not just your parents' faith, but really the true living faith, or whether you came to Christ later as an adult, or whether you had some type of uh, Damascus Road experience, right? So however you came to the Lord, remember your salvation, but also remember the people just as Deacon Joe reminded us, who led you to Christ and the people who poured into your life over the years. This is a process of thanking God and remembering. And then most importantly, other than Christ, remember the local church. You know, each and every one of you, whether you grew up in, in, in FCBC Walnut, whether you've been here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or whether you're brand new or whether you're visiting from another local church, Jesus Christ is head over the church and he has entrusted each of his members, each of his sheep, under shepherds and under the body of care. And, and Jesus uses the church to grow you and to bless you and your family. And so you need to take the time to remember that, right? And so that's the first stage, remembering the past. Then, at some point, I invite you to just go out when it's safe. Okay, so not Sunday morning when everyone's driving all over the place, but maybe you come to Wednesday night prayer meeting a little earlier, or maybe Sunday afternoon, or maybe a Saturday when you're coming here for other ministries, or maybe Friday night, you know, before ministry. Just go and stare at that new building. And, and just remember, I mean, a year ago, we didn't have the wall up like that, right? I mean, I, I feel like we build that wall faster than whatever the government is trying to build on the border, right? I mean, it's quick, but it's all God's hand. And, and all of a sudden, you see the roof, the roofing. It is insane when God wants us to build because if God did not want us to build, we wouldn't build. And, and some of you have been praying with us that we had barriers, we had opposition. It's not always the opposition like you see in the Old Testament, but you have, we had the Edison line that we were praying for. What do we do with this? You know, we had the, the, you know, our CUP, our conditional use permit was expiring. What do we do with this? And all these different barriers, the soil water testing, I mean, all, the rain that California never gets. And we got, we got baptized. We got Baptist rain last year. Not the sprinkling Presbyterian stuff, but Baptist rain. And that slowed us down, right? But nonetheless, we, we look at the structure. And so 
God then has a responsibility for us. There's stewardship involved when we rejoice in the progress that really this is God's hand. We don't deserve this building. We don't deserve this building. It's really God's hand. And then many of you have faithfully uh, practiced stewardship and giving, right? And without, without the hand of God's people, this wouldn't, we wouldn't have this building. And then we need to realize the purpose. Okay, once we understand that salvation is not about us, that the Lord has saved us, reflecting our salvation, and we look at the progress, then we say there's stewardship. What is the purpose? It's not about just going in there to consume for our own good. But if we are to be a church of disciple makers, then the Great Commission says we're all called to make disciples. And we know the purpose of the church is also the fellowship of the saints and worship and glorifying God. So how do each and every one of us realize that we've been given spiritual gifts to steward, that we are responsible to steward these gifts. And and so there is a purpose. And then finally, then your heart will be right, hopefully, God willing. By the time we enter into that new building, we'll have a heart realizing that this building is not for us. We, We Yeah, we get to worship in it, but it's really not just for us. It's not for us just to enjoy. We need to reach the people because we've remembered the past. We've rejoiced in the progress that only God could give us. We've realized the purpose of our calling and our gifting, and then, and then hopefully we're ready to say, God, who are you going to bring from the community who doesn't know you? What children are going to be raised up in there and that we need a disciple, right? What, what believers do we need to pour into to strengthen their faith? So that's where you have remember the past, rejoice in the progress, realize the purpose, and reach the people. Okay, so today we are going to begin by remembering the past, as you can see on the screen. You see the photo up there of of the shoulders that we stand upon. Yes, it's Christ as the cornerstone, Christ as the head of the church, but, but there you see a photo of our founding pastor, Pastor Jackson Lau, and, and our second pastor hired on, our, our, our Chinese-speaking pastor, Pastor Joseph Tang. And if you've been with us, you've sat under their faithful ministry, and now they've both retired, uh, but they are still serving in various ways, pouring into the body of Christ. And so we remember the past, so that is a photo for you. But why do we remember the past? Because when you look through scripture, when you consider Israel's history, so now all you Bible nerds, you, you follow me on this a little bit, right? Every single time Israel found themselves at a pivotal transitional point in their life or in the life of Israel, what did they do? They took time to worship. They conducted sometimes, they, they sometimes built some type of memorial structure that was for the Lord, not an, not an idol to worship. But it was always, remember the Lord your God. Remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember the Lord who saved you from Egypt. Remember the Lord who delivered you from the Exodus or from Egyptian slavery, rescued you. Remember the law of the Lord. Let not the law of the Lord leave your mind or your heart, but meditate daily on the word of the Lord. There's always this theme of remembrance. And when you get to the New Testament... What happened? Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for our sins, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, and he said, remember me by doing this often. And what was that? The communion, the Lord's Supper, right? Take the bread and the cup and remember him. So this theme of remembrance is something we see throughout scripture. But we, like the people of the Bible, find ourselves 
as part of a larger story of God's redemptive story. If you are a Christian, you are connected to the local church, but that means you're connected to the universal church. But in many ways, you are connected to the one people of God, and that connects us back to spiritual Israel. It connects us back to Israel. And so we find ourselves in a pivotal position in our church's history. We This year, we're going to celebrate our 35th anniversary uh, we we hope to we hope to celebrate the the uh, new building and celebrate the dedication of the new building. We hope to ordain three of our deacon candidates to be deacons, and they're all from the English congregation. But as we go through these transitions, we take a moment to remember. So I, I just give you this is going we're gonna get to God's word. That's really we're gonna do our heavy hitting and going to Christ as always, right? But really, just take some time to remember the blessings that God has given us. This picture is, is dated, uh, is dated March of, uh, 19, 1993. Okay. So this, this photo is, is dated 1993 or 92. Something like that. I can't really see right now. Let me see. It's March 1st, 1992. Okay. March 1st, 1992. And if you notice that this was when God gave us this piece of land, this church, began the first worship service March 3rd of 1985. And we started at Mesa Robles Middle School in Hacienda Heights. It's so funny that that's where I went to junior high school. But Mesa Robles Junior High and, and elementary school in Hacienda Heights. And that was, that was 1985. But notice the sign. This sign, there's no building built here. It was just a piece of land here. And it says, join us for service spring 1993. So in 1993, that's when this, this building would be constructed and built. And so in this same event, so you have Pastor Jackson there with a brother named Walter from our mother church, First Chinese Baptist Church of Los Angeles in Chinatown, uh, who helped us find this land. And, and here you have a picture of Pastor Jackson with a shovel in the dirt next to Carl Gay, the lead architect of this structure that you're sitting in now, the current Mac. And so just take a moment just to thank God, even if you're new. You know, you know, there's 35 years of God taking our church through ups and downs, trials, and the people who have poured in to it. I mean, you, can, you can't see in this photo, but you can see our membership director in here, you know, with, with hair this high, uh, Sister Rwanda. You can see her picture in there. You can see some other, some other individuals in here uh, who, who are still with us and who are still serving. You see some children in here, uh, one or two that are still with us worshiping. But it's just amazing to think about God's hand over our church. Okay, uh, So with that, we're going to get into God's word. If you have God's word, will you take it? And turn with me to 1 Chronicles 16. 1 Chronicles 16. 1 Chronicles 16 is one of the pivotal turning points in Israel's history where King David longs to construct a physical structure of worship for Yahweh, our Lord. And so as you turn there, 1 Chronicles 16, I'm going to give you the context. In fact, if you, if you were with us in the summertime when we were going through the Psalm of Ascents, we already gave you the background for how David gave praise to the Lord after the Ark of the Covenant was found. Now, 
First Chronicles 16 is really, really long, so we aren't going to preach this verse by verse, every single verse. We aren't going to treat this expositionally. It's going to be a topical exposition, or some of you uh, refer to this as a thematic exposition because, because we need to go to chapter 17 as well. Okay, so we are going to cover a lot of scripture. But just a little bit of context. In verses 1 to 7, you see the context. And the context is the Ark of the Covenant was lost. There was difficulty in finding it. Once it was found, it was, there was a challenge for David to transport this Ark to Jerusalem. But finally, David transports the Ark to Jerusalem. And the Ark contains several elements. But the most important element is it contained the law of the Lord. It contained the tablets of the law. And so that's the Ark of the Covenant, right? And then you see the rest of First Chronicles 16 is that David does something that we want to do. He remembers the Lord. He remembers the salvation of God's people. He remembers the deliverance from Egypt. He remembers the promises to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he remembers the sovereign election of God that God chose Israel, out of all the peoples of the earth. And then he goes on remembering the mighty works of the Lord, remembering how the Lord fought for them. Okay, so let me give you a preview of that. We are only going to cover various themes from verses 8 to 22 for our purposes. But basically, David pulls wording that's found from various psalms. So, so he pulls from Psalm 105, Psalm 96, and Psalm 106. Okay, so that may be of interest for some of you Bible nerds who want to go home and check, and that's good that you go home and check, and you make sure that what we are preaching is actually what the Word of God says. So BSF students, Bible study fellowship students, go ahead and take a photo of this. We're going to hit the slide in a moment, okay? Uh, but but before we get to point number one, I want to set it up. Go with me to verses, verses 8 to 11. First Chronicles 8 to 11. Let me just read to you what, what David does here. And I want you to see that how he remembers the Lord is through praise. So he is going to invoke Israel or Judah to worship God. That's what he does. Because it's a pivotal turning point in their history. So verses 8 to 11. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. You see what David is doing is he's saying, call upon the Lord. Let's give thanks to him. Let's rejoice. Let's remember his wondrous works. Let's give glory to his name. Let's do this constantly and continually. Let's seek him for might and power and strength as we move forward as a nation. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Okay, so point number one this morning is remember God's saving work. The blank that you have on your outline is saving. Remember God's saving work. And you are going to see that David refers to this as the remember the wondrous works that he has done. But when we think of wondrous works and when we look at the context of what he's talking about, we remember our salvation, right? We remember our salvation as Christians and our salvation in Christ. But if you notice verse 12, 
Here's what it says. It says, remember the wondrous works that he has done. What are those works? This is his miracles and the judgments he uttered. So what does this include? This includes all of the mighty works of God. This includes the miracles that delivered Israel from Egypt, from Egyptian slavery. This includes the Lord parting the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds so that Moses could lead the people forward. This, this is remembrance of all the times that God fought for Israel miraculously leading up to David's reign. All that he has done. And in the judgments that he uttered, this includes the law of the Lord given through Moses. This includes what was spoken through various prophets, the word of the Lord. But then if you look at verse 13, which I don't have for you overhead, but in your Bibles, it says, O offspring of Israel, Israel was the, was the other name for Jacob, right? So Jacob's descendants, Abraham's descendants, O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, and you can underline his chosen ones. And so he remembers the election of God, that God chose Israel out of all the peoples in this earth. I want you to keep a marker, a finger, or I don't know how you do it on your electronic device, but keep a finger there and turn to Deuteronomy 7. Uh, It's too much to put on the screen, but I want you to see the special election of Israel, and then you can see how God has chosen us as well. Right, That out of all the peoples of the earth, God chose us, whether we're Jew or Gentile, in Christ. And so if we are going to remember our salvation, we, we need to remember salvation's past, which is God's sovereign, gracious work in our lives to set the tone of salvation by grace and not by works. And Israel understood this. Deuteronomy 7. I want you to draw your eyes and your hearts to verses 6 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, it says, and this is God speaking to Israel, right, through Moses. It says, for you are a people holy, which means set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of this earth. So you see there that there's all the people of this earth But God chose Israel. God chose the the people who were descendants of Abraham. Verse 7. Why did you choose us, God? It was not because you were more in number, so not because of size, than any other people that the Lord set set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from a house of slavery. That's slavery in Egypt. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And if you were to apply this as Christians, because we're not the Israelites, right? we're not coming out of Egypt, physical slavery, We would look at this and we would say, remember the Lord who chose us individually for Jesus Christ out of all the peoples of this world. And we don't know who he has chosen, but he's chosen us. It's not by our works, but it's by his grace. And and he rescued us as individuals, not from physical slavery, but from spiritual slavery from sin and death. And we need to take some time this week during your devotional time as you go through the prayer guide to remember the law of the Lord and remember remember that none of us could keep his perfect law. And so he had to send Christ. But as he chose us, not because we were better, 
or not because we somehow deserved it, but by his grace alone, that we need to have that heart of just gratitude. And then to say, Lord, I was enslaved. I was enslaved. If it wasn't for you, I would be following the course of this world, following the prince, the principalities of this, of, of the dark world, being enslaved unto the ways of Satan. But Lord, you saved me. And that's where we, like Israel, remember God's saving work. That's what we are to do. Now, point number two is remember God's sure covenant. So point number one was remember God's saving work. But point number two is remember God's sure covenant. And so if you turn back to First Chronicles, First Chronicles, turn back to First Chronicles, chapter 16. If you notice verses 14 to 22, which is taken from Psalm 105, notice what it says in verse 14. It says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Now, notice verse 15, where once again you see this command to remember. And so I have verse 15 overhead for you. On the, on, on the screen, it says, remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel, as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for your inheritance. Question, Bible students. Is this the Mosaic Covenant? It is not. This is not talking about the Ten Commandments. This is referring to the Abrahamic Covenant, which means it applies to me and you. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in the spiritual seed of Abraham, Christ. Right? So the Abrahamic Covenant included three major things. Seed, land, and blessing. Seed, land, and blessing. What's the seed? Abraham, you and Sarah are barren, but you will, I will make you a great nation. You will have offspring. You will have children. You will have many, many children, and I will make you into a great nation, a great kingdom. Second, land. I will give you the land of Canaan, and your people will occupy that land. And thirdly, blessing. Through you, blessing will come to all nations. And we know that that seed Event, that seed eventually led to Christ. That blessing is referring to Christ coming through the generations of Israel. And that land was symbolic, meant to point towards Christ and his kingdom, Christ and his people, right? Where Christ would dwell among his people, where he would establish a kingdom. And we know that the kingdom is not just confined to Canaan, but Canaan is now the name of like most, a lot, a few Chinese restaurants, right? But instead, it is beyond Canaan to the world, right, wherever the Spirit of God dwells and wherever people worship and surrender under the Lordship of Christ and the gospel is proclaimed, that's the land. That's where he dwells. All right, so we see that. And in verses 19 and 22, he says, when you were few in number, going back to election, of little accounts and sojourners in this land, you were few that I had chosen, and you were sojourning in this land, wandering from nation to nation without a home, from one kingdom to a, another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do, do my prophets no harm. Meaning, God cared for Israel as, as they wandered. And I want to get to the heart of our sermon, which is point number three. As they sojourned around, point number three is remember God's sojourning 
presence. So you have point number one, remember God's saving work. Point number two, remember God's sure covenant, the covenant that cannot be broken, the covenant that he swears to Abraham that we get ushered into through Christ, and then his sojourning presence. Now, this is in contrast to his stationary palace or his stationary position. I want you to consider this, that God is omnipresent. Any stationary dwelling in the Old Testament was just symbolic. It is really the sojourning presence of God that followed Israel around everywhere where they went. It is the same sojourning presence of God that dwells with us and follows us. So I want you to see first God's personal care for Israel. I want you to see this because then you will realize why God did not want David to build the temple. Okay, so we're going to see this. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. First Chronicles chapter 17. Here's what I want you to see. In verses 1 and 2, look at David's heart. I want you to see David's heart. It says, now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. So he has this nice house of cedar, the, 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 the wood-type cedar usually came from Lebanon, and it was imported in. It was very special. It was very, a nice house that he lived in. And he said in verse 2, And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. I want you to notice two things that, I'm gonna, that you're going to see in the following passages, following verses. The first is just an insight, right? I want you to notice that David loves the word of the Lord. Who's Nathan? Remember a couple weeks ago I mentioned that everybody needs a Nathan in your life. Right? Everybody needs a Nathan in your life. Um, yeah, you can have a Nathan Wu or a Nathan Deep or you can have a Nathan's hot dog, but that's not what I'm talking about, right? But Nathan was the one who rebuked David. David was the king of Israel. He had all the authority. And we often hear of spiritual leaders becoming puffed up with pride and not having accountability, right? And then they abuse their power. But you have David who abused his power. He saw a woman who was attractive, who was not his wife, who was married, Bathsheba. He says, I want that woman, get her for me. And he committed sexual immorality and adultery. Then he said, oh, she has a husband? Let's conspire. Let's put him on the front lines and have that husband killed. And so David would listen to no one. But then the Nathan, Nathan the prophet brought the word of the Lord, rebuked David. And what did David do? He repented. He, he repented as soon as the word of God was brought to him. And so back then, they didn't have canonized Bibles like us, personal Bibles. So the, God spoke his word through the prophets. And I want you to see that David, the leader of God's people, he kept his Bible near him. But his Bible was his accountability partner, the prophet Nathan, who spoke the word of the Lord. And so Nathan, so the second thing I want you to see, that when you speak the word of the Lord, you better check with your boss before giving someone and amen, right? Now, now we don't practice the same prophetic utterances as, as, as the authority of the Old Testament prophets today. But, but notice that what Nathan said. He said, okay, you want to build a house for the Lord? Do all that's in your heart for God is with you. Now, a reminder that, that we are always reminded to pay attention to God because Nathan needed to go check with the boss 
first. And Nathan's boss was God. Right? So look at verse 3, where God speaks to Nathan and says, no, 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 no. I don't want David to do all that his heart wants him to do. I want David to be a man after my own heart. And here's what I want you to tell him. Look with me at verse 3. It says, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling in all places where I've moved with all Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? Meaning, did I ever ask for a physical structure whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? I I, want to give you some insight here. Okay. Yeah, maybe, you know, some people say the reason why David couldn't build the house because David was a man of war. He shed blood and he sinned. But Solomon, Solomon never shed blood. That's why Solomon gets to build a temple. You know, when you look at Solomon and David, Solomon was way more sinful. And we don't have clear record of Solomon's repentance, though most believe that at some point he, he probably did. So, so maybe there's some truth to that, but I, I think this is pretty clear here. Okay, this is pretty clear here. There's a reason why David was not permitted to build the house because God didn't want that house. Okay, uh, eventually God allows Solomon to build the temple, but we know that temple fell. That temple was merely temporary, right? And when people remember the glorious temple, they were supposed to think forward to Christ. There are several reasons that you see it, but the first, it is beautiful and it applies to us as New Testament Christians. So I want you to look at verse 5 again. Verse 5 once again. For I have not lived in a temple, a nice house, since I brought you up out of Israel to this day. Let me speak to you as Christians. When you, were, when you weren't saved, I came and got you. When you were lost in your sin, when you were discouraged, when you were sitting there praying, and you were, you were struggling with disease or discouragement, I walked with you. And when you were celebrating in life the different, different challenges that you overcame, I was with you. When you lost your loved one, I was with you. When you had your first child, I was with you. When you're standing there before the altar giving your marriage vows, you better believe that I was with you making sure that you make those, you keep your covenant. When you sinned, I was with you. You're with me? I was with you. In your darkest moment, your greatest problem is sin. I was with you. I, finally, I sent my son, God would say, to come and become one of you. I didn't ask for a house. I come and I dwell among you. And your biggest problem I took your sins on the cross. I bore your shame, Jesus says. I took the penalty. I died for you. And now Christ, through the Spirit, lives in you, wherever you go. And so God is telling David, the temple you want to build, you can't build. Solomon, he's going to build something real nice. 
But the temple I want is the temple that can end all sacrifices. The temple that I want to build is the temple that no longer needs animal sacrifice. The temple that I want to build, only your son can build. And who's that son? It's the greater son of David. The son of God can't come in human flesh. The son of David, Jesus Christ. David, you will not build a house. Jesus will build that house. And when Jesus builds a house, you will remember the past that I never left you. That's the God that we serve. Not the God that sits in a beautiful structure. But the, but the Lord who says, wherever you go, when you were in slavery, I was there. And when you were in the wilderness, I was there. And when you were fighting your enemies, if you remember the call upon me, remember I was there. And when I let you go into exile, and I, when I let you get defeated, it was just to remind you that you forgot that I was there. That's the gospel in the Chronicles. Some of you are saying, no, no, you know, Christ is not there. Well, let's read on. Let's read on, okay? I want you to look at verses 7 and 8. Now, I want you to see God's personal care for David. It says, verse 7, Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people. One insight there is that the leaders of God's people were always meant to be shepherds, not kings. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd first, then king. Jesus is our good shepherd, laying down his life for his flock. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he established apostles And then later there'd be elders and pastors. And the word pastor means to be a shepherd of God's people, right? God always says, if you're going to lead my people, it is a task of shepherding. So to following the sheep, to be prince over my people, Israel, verse 8, and I have been with you wherever you've gone. I cut off your enemies from before you, including Saul. I will make a name for you, not you will make a name for yourself. I will make a name for you like the name of the great ones of the earth. And what's that name? That name eventually is that Jesus Christ goes down as the son of David, the greater son of David, the son of God, comes in human flesh as the greater son of David. Then you look at starting in verse 9. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. Verse 10, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I will declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. Now, what is this house? Verse 11, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. One of your own sons, I will establish his kingdom. I contend, and many New Testament scholars contend that this is not talking about Solomon. It's talking about Jesus. Look at verse 12. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Solomon's throne came to an end. His kingdom was divided and they were exiled. It is only the throne of Jesus Christ who will be forever. I will be to him a father, literally the son of God. He shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, meaning King Saul. 
Verse 14, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And you know what David did? He listened, and he didn't build the temple. And so for us today, we're not saying that we shouldn't build the building. It's too late. (laughs) It's up. God could have stopped it. Next week, you're going to see how he brought us over boundary, over barrier, over barrier, over barrier. But then I think it's a stewardship that if it's not just about a physical structure to reside in or to be in, then what is it about? That building is about Christ. That building is about being Jesus' disciples. That building is about leading people to Christ, shepherding people in Christ, building up people for Christ. And so if each and every one of us have experienced the soul-journeying presence of God in our lives, then what does God want for us? What is our next step? How can we then love passionately, live authentically, give generously, and go courageously? We must enter together. It doesn't matter if we enter slowly. We have to enter slowly. We're going to stampede over each other. Okay? But we will enter that building together as one body of Christ. And we will learn together how to share with the, with, with the Chinese congregations and how to bless them. We will learn together that it's not about any of our individual ministries or desires, but it is about a corporate church. We will remember why we give the elderly access to the rooms downstairs and why the elderly and pregnant mothers and infant mothers use the, use the elevators and youth and young people, please use the stairs. Okay, stuff like that, okay? We will remember why we, we are one body where no one goes in there and just like, ah, yeah, I want to use this, I want to do that. Right? We will remember that ultimately it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the way we remember that it's not about us is by reflecting on the fact that Christ came and rescued us and Christ has never left us and whatever crisis you face individually whatever celebration you celebrate whatever crisis our church has gone through whatever crisis our church will go through whatever crisis evangelicalism will go through whatever celebration we will celebrate dedications and baptisms and ordinations God always walks with us that's the type of God. It's not about just the building. It's about Jesus, and it's about being his disciple makers. And here's the Old Testament principle. The Old Testament principle is that salvation history reminds us that God walks with and dwells among his people of old and his people of new. Right? God walks with and dwells among his people. That's the Old Testament principle. But we are New Testament believers. And as New Testament believers, the big idea, the main point, the central truth of this morning's message is remember Christ who saved us, walks with us, and dwells with us. doesn't matter what you're going through right now. God dwells with you if you have Christ. I do want you to take time this week that notice on there is some repetition because each week you'll take some time to thank God for things Each week, you should take some time to confess your sins and ask the Lord to to search your heart for hidden sins. But if you notice that it begins with uh, a Monday with reflecting on your salvation, how you got saved, then it goes into praying for thinking of the people who led you to Christ or the people who helped you grow, whether they are still with us or whether they've gone home to be with the Lord. Pray for them. 
You know, sadly, sometimes the people who minister to you, uh, sometimes after 10, 15 years, they, they might no longer be with the, uh, walking with the Lord, right? You pray for their salvation, pray for their, their repentance. And so, so this gets real, just really reflects. Uh, but then you'll thank God, how is it that I'm saved? How is it that I'm sustained? And then it leads into God's purpose for FCBC Walnuts and then, uh, and then how the Lord wants to uh, use you. So take the time to do that. Right? So go through the prayer guide to remember God's work in our individual lives and remember God's work through the local church. Please, if you're in some type of community group or small group, uh, to, to take some time to go through this. Share with your community group or small group. If you're a fellowship group leader, Sunday school teacher like Pastor Terrence did this morning, take some time to go through it. Um, but please do in your families around the dinner table. Take some time to go through this together with your family and share because we're all going into this new structure together and we all want to be prepared, okay? And come next week ready to go through Nehemiah 4 where we're going to rejoice in the progress and we're going to share about how God got us over opposition and opposition over opposition and we'll focus on prayer and unity of the body of believers. So let me lead us in prayer. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who didn't want David to build the temple because you have always walked with your people through every wilderness experience, through every challenge. You're a God who sojourns with us. And then, Lord, you wanted a temple in the person of Jesus Christ who would end all sacrifices, make atonement for our sins, satisfy your wrath, and bring us into the kingdom of God as new people. Lord, I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would reflect on a relationship with Jesus seriously this week. Father, I want to pray for anybody in here who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would save them now, draw them to the irresistible grace of the gospel. Lord, help them to confess their sins before you. Help them to repent and ask you to be their Lord and King. Lord, and change their lives and plug them into a church, whether this church or another gospel-proclaiming, Bible-proclaiming church. And Father, we pray, Lord, for FCBC Walnut, not just the English congregation, but the youth, the Cantonese, and the Mandarin, that you would help us to be united under the gospel and through the preaching of your word, that we would look to you and that we would be one through this year as you prepare us for the challenges that you're going to give us as you bring more people because you want us to reach the community for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord through the taking of tithes and offerings. Good morning, church.